What's going on, everybody? E- this is SecDevOps.ai. Yes, sir. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be back again, along with a special guest, KMAP, Red Team member, uh, all-around expert, and uh, he'll be sharing who he is and just some of the things that he's been working on. So thanks for joining us today, KMAP. Yeah, thank you. Hey, hey everybody. My name's KMAP. So I'm the principal red team engineer at Palo Alto Networks. Essentially, we do red team operations, break in, steal stuff. That's the traditional red team op. Yep. Uh, I'm working on expanding the services to, to break them out into a little different types of categories because every red team has a story. It's not necessarily the, the cyber kill chain story, but right. really how you fit the red team uh, as a team, the program, yep. into the organization and telling the story of how you can design an operation to have different effects on the organization so that you can propel the, the, the InfoSec team. Absolutely. Yeah, so one of the things that um, we do is we do sort of the, the red team-esque things in order to see what it looks like on the wire. Mm-hmm. And then we use the blue team to actually see what we can find, right? Yeah, exactly. So sometimes, you know, you're not always trying to win. So in those types of operations, you're just leaving as many breadcrumbs as possible yep. but creating this puzzle for them to reverse engineer. And, and, you, and you say, you know, you tell me, like, what you tell me what I did over the yeah. last three months. You know, did you see this? Did you see that? Right. And, you know, how you get caught is actually the most important part of that operation because you know you're going to get caught because you're, you're doing it on purpose. But training them to think correctly and yeah. catch you in the correct way is how they're going to catch the real bad guys. So how did you get to where you are? You're doing, like, real red teaming. So how did what was your sort of trajectory through the space? Yeah, so I got started in InfoSec from a guest lecturer uh, at USC, He's, he basically said, hi, my name is Joe, and I read all of your emails. Oh, wow. <laughs> so that just got me <laughs> What an intro. Like, like what an <laughs> intro, right? Uh, so it, he was starting uh, the, the cyber program uh, at USC there, and I just got involved doing, doing some forensics and some you know, pen testing stuff. Uh, and then once I graduated, I went to uh, Sigital, which is a consulting company. Uh, by the time I left there, I was head of the, the whole network penetra- penetration testing department. Did a bunch of red teams there. Started off with some architecture, but moved on to red teams, and then uh, went to Autodesk for a bit, and then now I'm at Palo Alto. Fantastic, nice. <laughs> so through all of that uh, that journey, what what do you think was the thing that really moonlighted and started the feeling the success of being successful at pen testing or red teaming? Yeah, I think the most exciting thing for me was the realization that you know hacking isn't magic you know the stuff you see in the movies is kind right. of impossible in a oh way yeah. you, like you can actually do that stuff and once you figure out a methodology of like oh i can do this to this to this and you it, you, you chain these complex things together to to have a, a really observable effect is this the, the stuff that really drives me nice that's awesome so did you like go get your oscp and that whole route or has it had been all on on uh, the job stuff no yeah so the story behind that is once i once i graduated i was just kind of slacking off for a bit and then i was crashing at my friend's house for for a couple of months and i was just like you know what i'm gonna spend my last 700 bucks on buying the the oscp training lab so i just wow, did that really for 18 hours a day just like in my friend's garage literally just <laughs> starving myself to death oh like, my no gosh money. like literally <laughs> like if i didn't have that dude like i would have been homeless yeah uh so i did that for a while never took the exam because i, I got hired by the time you know that, that stuff rolled around yeah but, uh just been you know mostly self-taught Jeez, that's like <laughs> the 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 quintessential like cybersecurity story. Just this guy and <laughs> at a computer for hours a day, banging away <laughs> at the keyboard. Yeah, just <laughs> just hacking stuff. That's like so old school. I don't think we've <laughs> had anyone that has just came into the game in the industry through education and 
schooling. I think that I don't really even know know that many people that right. have that route. In, yeah, it's in pretty security. new. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty new. So you had uh, an idea for a topic, yes. and <laughs> when we looked at it, we said that is either going to be the most amazing <laughs> show ever or uh, it could be potentially boring. No, I'm joking. No, we, we thought it was going to be amazing. Uh, but you wanted to talk a little bit about mathematics and, and how to, to use the nerdy stuff to yes. actually get cool stuff done. Yeah, so uh, one of the things that fascinates me the most is, is this ability to use nerdy stuff to do cool stuff. So one of my most proudest moments as a pen tester is that my first O-Day involved this proof by contradiction mm -hmm. um, as part of the, the payload and like figuring out what the secrets are for this MFA product. Right. Um, and since then, I've just been trying to figure out how do we can apply these concepts. So I wanted to talk about uh, how concept, like the concept and the invention of the Bloodhound tool mm -hmm. is amazing because what it really is so uh, step back a little bit so yeah pe so people know bloodhound because it can get you da right it shows right. you the the nodes and the edges that you can traverse from one network to another network to, to get this stuff and for everybody that doesn't know what bloodhound is do you, yeah. you want to kind of explain what it does yeah, yeah sure so originally it was developed um as an offensive tool you have limited amount of access into a network and you scan it to figure out the relationships between the current user that you've compromised and the computer and the whole network and once you get that data, you put it into this database, and it shows you a, a very pretty graph yeah. of you are on this computer, mm -hmm. and this person that you popped has a password that works on this account, and it just follows this chain. They call it an attack graph. Yep. Mm -hmm. You go from a start to a destination to whatever it is you want to show. Um, so someone who's has basic familiarity of Bloodhound would basically say, oh, yeah, that's the tool that I use to get DA. Right. Um, and to me, that's similar to someone who is running into Mimikatz for the first time, and they're saying, mm -hmm. oh, that's the tool that I can use to dump some password hashes. Right. right. But those tools are way, way, way more than that. So to me, Bloodhound is a way of using graph theory and visualizing it. So if you can expand upon that work, you can apply that concept anywhere. So if you can start defining your own edges, the lines between the dots, yep. and defining your own nodes, the actual dots themselves, you can use this underlying framework built by the Bloodhound team to apply that to anything. So uh, the first obvious step would be like, okay, well, I can use this against Linux environments and yep. start pivoting from, from non-Windows stuff. But what I'm trying to apply is, is an even broader context, and that's leading into... Uh, this concept that I, I've been labeling actual TTPs. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tell me more. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so if you, if you look at the MITRE framework, it's yeah. like, okay, there, there's these columns and then there's these boxes of like how you exercise that individual TTP. So right. if you think about the concept of persistence, there's like, oh, you can like modify this registry thing. Yep. That'll give you persistence. Right. Um, uh, I'm trying to take a step back and go a little bit broader than that and thinking about what is persistence really? And to me, I've broken it down to two things. One is you need to modify the host operating system in some way. Yep. Um, and then that modification allows you to gain persistent access to the network to do other things. So for example, you know, what if the person can't modify the operating system at all? So yep. the, the whole point of this is that ultimately we can visualize this bloodhound graph, and instead of dots and, and lines going into from a computer to a computer, you have this flow and this attack graph of the underlying fundamental assumptions that make certain things possible. Right. Um, and if you can find the choke points of that similar on a bloodhound graph in AD, if you can kill this one node, 
you can wipe out this entire tree of attack surface in your entire company. Right. So I'm trying to focus on that type of stuff and how we can uh, affect that and then turn that all over to the blue team so like screw myself over. <laughs> I can't do that anymore. <laughs> right. So you're not talking about doing like a, a direct translation to uh, a alert logic, right? You're talking about a, a depiction that you can then hand over to the blue team in order to actually like, okay, so now that we have this data, what can we actually do? Yeah, yeah. So originally, no, but you can apply this certain knowledge. So for one example of that, if we'd go the, the cat and mouse game of beaconing, yep. um, you have uh, some, some time-based heuristics and some jitter-based stuff where you yep. can find some potential beaconing traffic, but then you start looking at the payloads of that traffic. So mm -hmm. uh, a good attacker is not going to have you know, a plain text payload. So let's right. say they start having... You know, maybe it's SSL, okay, but then what if you're working at a, at a firewall company that decrypts all your SSL traffic, right? Then you right. start encrypting the actual HTTP bodies, but then the underlying fundamental assumption of encryption is that an attacker is supposed to have a 50-50 coin flip chance of being able to guess whether or not that's truly random data right. or encryption. So by definition, if you have good crypto, the traffic is random, yep. and because of that underlying assumption, you can build defenses around it. So yep. if you're saying, hey, I can perform a chi-square test on this piece of data, mm -hmm. and it's like, oh, that's random data, and it's beaconing at a certain interval, it's like, oh, I need to target this instead, because that is actually, you know, that's not, that's not something that should be ignored because it's actual, you know, encrypted data. Cause, and then the, the cat and mouse game of that is like the attack, you're really hurting the attacker in this situation because you're attacking this underlying fundamental assumption of, oh, crypto is random. They're searching for random. So what is the attacker going to do? Are they going to roll their own crypto and risk you being able to reverse engineer the whole traffic? Because that's going to open up this whole other attack surface of like, there's a there's an RCE in Cobalt Strike back in the yep. day where the, the server side C2 component itself was vulnerable to RCE if you if you started like pretending to be a beacon phoning home to it. So it's yep. like, is the attacker really going to roll their own crypto and expose their C2 infrastructure to the blue team? That's, that's really scary, right? Yep. So, you know, Basically, attacking underlying fundamental assumptions. I call. I, I'm calling that actual TTPs. I don't have a cool. <laughs> I don't have a cool logo or a website <laughs> or you, a name for it. Yet. Are you gonna make it like an acronym, <laughs> like actual spell something out? Yeah, maybe. So, are you gonna be like measuring like entropy as part of that? Uh, yeah. So, um, so crypto is random, and yep. there's this thing called the chi-square test that mm -hmm. you can do on it, and it'll say, okay, yeah, that's pretty random. So, yep. if you if you flag it to be random enough, then you can you know inspect it a little bit further and, okay. and see if it's beaconing. Very cool. So what do you see as the biggest challenges or biggest lifts that's going to uh, slow this project down or that you need to learn about to make it successful? Oh, I mean, finding good people is impossible. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. competitive, too. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, finding finding good people is impossible, especially if you're imposing your own restrictions on the type of people you want to hire. So you should, you should definitely accept any talent you have and just work with them to, to make sure that you can get what you want. But finding good people is definitely challenging. For me, um, I'm, I'm looking for people who are into the, the nerdy implementation of stuff. Right. Um, for me... Um, I like the the high level conceptual stuff and, and like architecting is like oh I know this is possible if we attack this thing a certain way, mm -hmm. um, and and thinking about you know the the long term strategic stuff. So ideally, um, I'll get some some nerdy implementer people to to help me out. Nice. What uh, now since we're already on the topic, uh, what kind of people are you looking to work with? Uh, maybe not necessarily directly in your day to day, but what mm -hmm. kind of team do you think makes uh, red teams most successful? Yeah, so I think the best <coughs> red teams are the ones that are large enough to have each person be their own specialist in something. 
So mm-hmm. you can't have a jack of all trades because then you're, you're going to lose that focus. So um, at my company, we have an entire wing of like vulnerability researchers and threat intel um, and yep. exploit developers and stuff. So I've been working on reaching out to those teams and seeing if I can leverage their capabilities in our red team operations. That way, the red team itself can be the operators and the architects, but then right. we still have this, st- this strong foundation of people who are really know the products really well and, can ad- and attack them and do it every day. Yeah. That kind of reminds me of uh, something that you brought up pretty recently, the reservist model. Yep. Leveraging those resources from all across an organization and building maybe not a team that's doing this all day, but building a team that can uh, accomplish a goal. Yeah, I mean, it, it <coughs> enables people to sort of get out of their, their day-to-day grind and, and do some cool stuff. Uh, we call the adversarial emulation side the red team, and obviously it's not <laughs> like a real red team that we have full-time. Uh, but it enables them to do some of that stuff, you know, kind of tinker and, and do a little bit of the hack stuff. And then we have the blue side where, they, you know, they're trying to find that stuff. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask you, yeah. and, because I don't, I don't really get a, a, an option to really talk to a lot of red teamers. <laughs> With the, the advancement and, and operating systems today, obviously your job's getting harder. Mm-hmm. Like every single day is getting harder. What it, do you find that there are still a lot of options for you to do? Or do you find yourself you're being much more niche these days because there's only so many windows of opportunity to actually get into a system? Yeah, so every organization has their own method of operating. So once you start shifting technologies a lot, you are under attacking those underlying foundations. You are actually hurting the attacker and making their hard dif- uh, their, their lives difficult. Right. Uh, however, the company is still full of developers who have their own ways of going about things, and those practices are really hard to break. Mm-hmm. So if you start attacking how they operate, it doesn't necessarily matter what the underlying tech stack is because if you compromise a person you right. have the access that that person has yep. so if you're not breaking down auth z properly mm-hmm. and, and giving people access to only the things that they need then those attack paths might never go away mm-hmm. right something that i think comes up quite a bit is uh the question about differences between pen testing and red teaming mm-hmm. so since you've been on both <laughs> you know you've had both titles what do you define pen testing and how do you well we we heard a little bit about how you define red teams sure what makes them different also yeah so for me a penetration test is the scope is some kind of system so usually it can be a web application sometimes it's a network and the goal of a penetration test is to find everything within this one thing yeah um, so you give them a list of bugs and hopefully that they fix it with a red team at least the, the traditional uh, objective oriented you know full scope pen test red team that they call it you're looking for any attack path to accomplish the goal. It's an objective-oriented thing. So at the start of the operation, you're saying, hey, I want this piece of source code so that I can you know, copy the IP or pirate it and sell it or, or whatever yep. goal. Right. Um, or you can take it even further and say, hey, I'm a crime group and I want to make money off of you in some way. Yeah. You define that goal ahead of time and then you figure out how to accomplish that goal. Yep. Um, so that involves chaining multiple vulnerabilities across different environments. It's all about the goal. And the thing about the Red Team Report is that it's just this point in time thing. Like we were able to get this it's definitely not uh, an, an enumeration of all the vulnerabilities in the environment. Right. So w- the stuff that we're doing, because it's a reservist model, <coughs> and we have really limited resources. We have a lot of people that are volunteering, but we're capping it to 16 hours mm-hmm. per quarter. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> we're not doing full spectrum uh, or full scope uh, red teaming. What would you call something like that, where we're looking at really specific things? We're doing the singular objective, mm-hmm. uh, but – 
we're doing it with such time constraints. Like, what would you call something like that? Because it's not quite penetration testing, but it's mm-hmm. not quite red teaming either. Yeah, the the objective oriented thing definitely puts it in in the in the red team side of the picture. Yep. Uh, the scope stuff um, is is something that you kind of have to settle on eventually. Like the stuff we do is, is typically per quarter. We have a very long time. Yeah. But if you're doing it in, in 16, it's actually really rough. So I, I'm is. working on on breaking down. So we use a, a services and capabilities model. Mm-hmm. So we define the types of skills that you know we have in in our team and the other departments do this too and then we build services around them right um, and I'm working on breaking out um, the and enumerating all of the different types of services that we have and giving them unique names I haven't thought about this specific use case yet and so mm-hmm. I don't have like a, a unique name for everything right, right, right. yeah but, you know ask me in a month <laughs> yeah sure I, I'm actually gonna do that you know that next month and figure that out nice heck yeah that'd be awesome yeah so also when it comes to the day-to-day uh what do you find yourself doing most is is there something that is (laughs) very challenging or even tedious about about the job uh not quite i'm I'm actually very fortunate a lot of my time is actually spent in the sock i'm doing a lot of FaceTime, making them coffee, making sure that they don't hate me because it's very, <laughs> it's very important that I have a strong relationship with them. So, I mean, um, so I actually spend a lot of time making coffee, but the whole time, but that's really like my planning phase. Yeah. Um, so um, if you do like a, a three month uh, engagement, at least the first month of it is planning. So yeah. I can do that anywhere. So I'm really just hanging out with the sock and um, making them coffee and, and helping them out when, when stuff comes up. Part-time coffee shop. Yeah. Nice. Uh, yeah, so we have uh, <laughs> one of the members of the SOC renamed his job title in Slack to SOC Barista. <laughs> wow. <laughs> SOC Barista. That's then, pretty cool. And then he trained me, so now uh, I'm also an, an, elu- an elitist <laughs> coffee snob. <laughs> so what kind of uh, coffee do you guys uh, gravitate towards most? Oh, God, all the high-caffeine stuff. So high-caffeine, yeah. yeah Country-specific, pers- like uh, Ethiopian coffee? Oh, dude. Okay, so for me, I'm a huge fan of uh, single-origin African coffee. So yeah. Ethiopian oh. is great. Right, That's yes. Th- yeah, it's a lot of blue-bottle stuff we get shipped. We started off with Death Wish, which is just straight-up, like, all-caffeine. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> and then we had uh, the, the, the Sock Barista took uh, the, the Death Wish coffee, which is already super high-caffeine, and then he made it into a cold brew, which made it even worse. And then oh. people started, like, getting sick because they didn't water it down <laughs> properly. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. That's insane. Cold brew. Brew is so intense. If I have I even a half a, half a cold brew, shaky. Yeah. I love cold brew. Do you know like uh, milligrams caffeine? Do you know? Oh, for Death oh Wish? no! It's like they they advertise themselves as the highest, but I found one that's even crazier. But I mean, usually we we make about a liter of it at a time, and I do like five well-rounded tablespoons, which means it's just like a mountain of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> So you also, uh, we, we talked about math for a little bit. Is there anything specifically like from your, your math days, maybe high school <laughs> or even college, that you're like, thank goodness I paid attention that day? Oh, dis- discrete <laughs> math for sure. So yeah. The stuff I talked earlier about the proof by contradiction, like that class is, is, has the word math in it, but is really just a bunch of logical puzzles and formal proofs. The f- don't be scared by formal proofs. <laughs> uh, it is, for me, it's, it's a lot of fun because I, I like puzzles. I, I just yeah, love puzzles. I love puzzles too. So, uh, uh, little known fact, or maybe not so little, uh, I used to work for the core group. So mm. Deviant and Bobic and, and Robert. And so I love like picking locks. Like that was like <laughs> one of my favorite things. I remember I took the class that Sands and Deviant was teaching yeah. and I was doing it and I was like hammering through all these locks and I was like, I need to do this. So I like walked right up to him. I was like, <laughs> I need to do this. How do we make that happen? And they brought me into the company. And so I ended up like teaching at Black Hat for it was maybe four or five Ooh, years, nice. te- teaching the lockpick stuff. But no, I love puzzles as well. So 
Maybe I need to get into the discrete math and <laughs> figure out what that's all about. Is there a good book for discrete math for for oh, the, the uninitiated? <laughs> yeah. For the uninitiated. And, and a little older, too. Uh, right, know, yeah. Of, I've been out of school for a while. Don't I'm give me just... a textbook that's like this thick. And <laughs> but it, it literally is, though. It's a textbook full of puzzles. Oh, God. <laughs> I might have to just dig in uh, and just check it out. Is there a good video, set. like a good yeah. uh, like number file? Do they do do anything on discrete math? Uh, number file is pretty good. It's, it's kind of entry level, so that, I think that's pretty approachable. I mm. mean, if you want to go ham, you got to get that book. So. Oh my <laughs> gosh! <laughs> but I mean, so I, I like puzzles. I also like. Uh, I play this game called Werewolf, which is like kind of like Mafia, if you've ever heard of oh, it. Oh, yeah, I've heard of yeah, Mafia, it's, yeah. It's like a werewolf take on, on the whole Mafia thing. So we yeah. play that at work, and I, I, and I do that as part of uh, not just team bonding between red and blue, but also like social engineering practice for both sides. Yeah. Because you're just staring <laughs> in a – you're just sitting in a circle, and it's like, oh, dude, you're a werewolf, man. You're, you're like definitely bad. <laughs> right. <laughs> and we get into this whole concept of, of metagaming and people trying to cheat in different ways. So like if you're sitting on the couch and you're like pointing at night and you're bouncing, it's like, oh, that guy moved during the werewolf phase. He's bad. Right. Right, yeah. That, that helps a lot on, on the OPSEC front. <coughs> so uh, so when we're doing especially those the adversary emulation stuff where you're yep. doing those breadcrumbs, right. you've got to have very strong operational security. Make sure that, like, oh, you're not using your corporate laptop to do a, a red team thing. Yep. Because if you have, like, this phishing domain and the very first DNS query for it ever was a red team member three months ago, yep. the whole thing is blown. Right. right. So uh, so that, that metagame thing is, uh, like, the, the whole werewolf game is part of that metagame training is making sure you're, like, you're just very on point at yeah. all times. That's awesome. Yeah. So are, are there any games that come to mind? I know that <laughs> I, I used to use the apps to learn more about math. Uh, there's Khan Academy. They do have some types, some games on there. And, and uh, there's another one that I was using for a while. I like the guy 3BlueOneBrown on YouTube. I'm not sure if you've seen any of his, no, any no, of his videos. That? He covers everything about math. <laughs> really? And he says it's a lot like meditation. You know, the most brilliant solutions are the most simple ones and they come out of nowhere. Mm. Yeah. Kind of like you might have a realization during meditation. <laughs> yeah. I, I really wish I was b bigger on math. I, I, I tried. So for me, uh, math, I took pre-algebra twice in high school cause I failed it the first time. Uh, I, I, I squeaked by, I got a C in algebra, did algebra two. And that's where I ended it at, at uh, high school, went to college. They're like, in order to graduate, you got to do college algebra. I'm like, oh my gosh! <laughs> so like, I I I don't study. You can ask my wife. I no tests, uh, hardly ever do I study. Don't do this, kids. Study. <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I I squeaked out with a C. But when I I I left college and I went to the Marine Corps, and then I went back to school, and we had. Uh, astrophysics class like it, it wasn't like a physics class it was more about space and all that stuff but all that math i got it like it, <laughs> it just clicks because when i can actually like think about celestial bodies and it just makes sense to me all the the formulas made sense <laughs> i'm like i just need to like port everything over to to space yes. and it'll make sense for me yeah, put exactly. a little space behind it yeah put a little <laughs> space behind it and i'll get it but don't a don't ask me to multiply anything and definitely don't ask me to divide. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, same same thing here. Like the the whole math and you know derivatives and double derivatives, like all that all that stuff never clicked with me. Like the calculus yep. stuff, not for sure. Yeah, but uh, when I got to discrete math, and it's like this is just a puzzle, and yeah. writing down the steps to solve the puzzle, it just like clicks immediately. Wow, I might have to give it another shot. <laughs> man. It might like unlock something. <laughs> So uh, I also wanted to ask, how has Black Hat and DEF CON been for you so far? 
Oh, it's great. So I did a, a four-day training with Offsec, and I got a challenge coin from them. It was amazing. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's individually uniquely numbered. I'm going to, like, frame it or something. It's amazing. That's um, awesome. You didn't bring it with you, though, did you? Uh, not here. Oh, <laughs> yeah. You don't want to lose that. You don't want to lose that. That's in a secure location. Yep. Yeah, very cool. <laughs> um, and then, so I, I used those four days to, to catch up with some friends. And then the, the two days of Black Hat, went to a couple talks, and a lot, a lot of partying, as you guys know, before the mm -hmm. show. Yep. <laughs> Good morning. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Kaipi Dinyakan 2019. Yeah. Um, uh, and then, yeah, I'm, it's really just uh, for me. So I used to get sick a lot. So um, by the time Wednesday would roll around, I'd be dead. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that the key to that has just been, you know, focusing on, on the social aspect of it and, and the networking. Because, yeah. I mean, you can spend a few hundred bucks and, like, get a copy of the recordings and, and watch it later. But this right. is a unique opportunity where all of your friends and experts across the industry are here. So the Absolutely. being able to, to interact with people, like, you know, I, I'm here. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. I mean, this is a, a great way to, to, you know, keep up with, with all old buddies. Absolutely. So since we're here, and uh, are there any projects, initiatives, or shout-outs that you wanted to give and mm -hmm. make people aware of? Oh, I mean, I need to give a huge shout-out to my teammate, Mary Sawyer. Uh, she is a, a red team engineer um, at Palo Alto, and she just won an award uh, for the Women's Cyber Jutsu. Wow. Um, and she's like cyber ninja best female pen tester. So nice. huge shout-outs to Mary. I'm yes. Very, very proud of you. Good job. Congrats very to cool. Mary. Well, it's been a pleasure having <laughs> you on. I yeah. appreciate you taking the time out. I know we've been talking about doing this for a bit, um, but definitely appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, uh, but before we go, very important question, what's the best way for someone to stay in touch or reach out to you? Oh, yeah, so you can – Reach me out on, on LinkedIn if you can yeah. spell my name. Oh, <laughs> that that's a challenge. challenge. Yeah. I, I, take, <laughs> I take my work OPSEC very seriously, but my personal life, I'm very easy to dox. So you should be able to find me very, very easily. Oh, okay. nice. Very cool. <laughs> Thanks for being on the show. Yeah. We'll catch you guys next time. Thank you.